Numbers 14, 24, once again. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. As we follow Israel in the desert to Kadesh, the very boundary between the desert and the promised land that God had sworn to Abraham and to his seed, there is a desert within the desert. And that desert is a spiritual desert. It is a, it is a moral desert. There is no fruit that grows, and one would think that this, this place, that is, this people, having been called out and rescued from the fiery furnace of Egypt, that they would bring forth the fruits of righteousness, love to God, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor as themselves, and yet it was spiritually desolate. So few among the sons of Abraham had This spirit of Caleb, but praise be to God, there were a few. And there will always, even in the darkest days, be a remnant according to the election of grace. There will always, even in the darkest days, when when iniquity abounds and the love of many becomes cold and frozen... The very opposite of days of great revival. There will still be the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of men, however few they may be. But Caleb stands out. He stands out as a rose blossoming in a desert place. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, though you will die in the desert, though you will bid farewell to your children as when they come of age, they shall leave your dead bodies in the desert to go into the promised land, these very ones that you were so worried about. But him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Because he had faith. How precious is faith. How rare, how rare is true and genuine faith. Many are called, but few are chosen. Lord, who hath believed our report? But the explanation for it is not because Caleb was such a good guy, but because God had made the difference. He had regenerated Caleb. 
He had transformed Caleb from within. Well, we've been pausing, as it were, hovering over this very remarkable text. It really just stands out, that, that, that rose blossoming in the desert. And shouldn't that capture our attention? Because it is the very planting of heaven. We're looking at the subject of the rebirth, the regeneration. It is that inner spiritual sovereign work of God in Christ by His Spirit in the hearts of the elect, in His divinely appointed time, and by virtue of the death and resurrection of Christ, by which they, though they are wholly dead in trespasses and sins, blinded by the God of this world, in bondage to sin and to Satan with all their beings, averse to and set against God, his holy law, and even the free offer of the gospel, they are instantaneously and radically transformed, resurrected, and awakened under the preaching of the gospel. And the focus of the message today, as we have already looked at the author of regeneration, the triune God, the subjects of regeneration, the elect. Third, the time or the timeline of regeneration. Fourth, this morning, the opposition that regeneration overcomes. The opposition that regeneration overcomes. Consider two points. First, the backstory of this opposition and the soul story of this opposition. The backstory, the background of this opposition, so that we can make sense as to why this is such a universal reality. And then, second, looking at every single soul as they manifest that opposition in their own hearts. To appreciate the rose, let's look at the desert. Why? Why this desert? As I, many years back, had the opportunity to fly from Europe over the Mediterranean Sea into Africa. It wasn't long before any green or any civilization faded into what seemed to be an unending expanse of yellowish nothing. Why? It it, it stands out, doesn't it? As you look at a map, as 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 you look at the globe, your eyes are drawn after you see all this green and this lush Uh, richness from, from the Amazon River Basin in South America. Your eye drifts over and you see these large, vast desert places. Well, we're only going to understand the rose blossoming, Caleb who had another spirit, by understanding the default. 
There's a backstory that requires the rebirth. And doesn't even the word rebirth presume something? Well, what's wrong with the first birth? Why do I need to be born again? Charles Colson, who was a close advisor to President Richard Nixon. He was Nixon's savvy operator, and he did a lot of things, some shady things, that got him condemned and sent to prison. But in prison, God stepped into his heart, and he became born again. Old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. He wrote a book about it. I've encouraged you to to read it if you never have. It's a very striking account of a public figure who was embroiled in national controversy and fully admitted his wrongdoing. But praise be to God that something happened in prison that was much more than reform. The Lord stepped in. And gave him a new heart. But there's a backstory to Charles Colson, and there's a backstory to Caleb, and there's a backstory to every Christian. And in order to understand it, you've got to go all the way to Genesis chapters 2 and 3. To understand ourselves, we've got to go to the Bible. What's wrong with me? I'm sure, young people, you've asked that question. Maybe not in so many words, but those nagging thoughts in the back of your head. What's wrong with me? Well, here's what's wrong with you. And here's what's wrong with me. And you need to to overcome your fixation on symptoms, my fear. My insecurity, those are, those are problems, and they need to be addressed. But you've got to trace them down to their root. And to understand that, you need the backstory of humanity. God made our first parents good in every conceivable way. No fears, insecurities. No lusts, no jealousies, no pride, no fighting. There was no Cain looking upon his brother with hate and spite. Much less was there any break in the intimate fellowship of Adam and Eve with their maker. They loved to be in God's presence They they couldn't dream of running away from God. That's the backstory. It started there when instead of holding the line with the word of God, God's good, he's given us all these good blessings, but he tests us to see if we'll be obedient, then we listen to the serpent. How 
has God really said? You shall surely die. Does he not know that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened? Here's this new knowledge, this new insight, this new key that is offered to unlock the door, a door that's been locked against you. When they ate the forbidden fruit, oh yes, their eyes were opened. And at that point, sin entered the world and death by sin. But the Bible tells us that they weren't an isolated couple in a, in a, a vacuum-sealed bubble. No, They were designed and even commanded to procreate and to have children. And whatever decisions they would make would impact their children for good or for ill. And that's the way it is even at the present day. The Apostle Paul tells us, In Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Now listen. For that all have sinned. That's not speaking of our particular sins in our lives. That's, That's what spills forth. That's what flows forth. It's the mother sin. We were there represented. That's the backstory. And so sin spilled forth like 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 as we've heard the this this great spill of, of toxic chemicals into a river in in Ohio. It poisons the waters. That's what's happened. Deep down you know it when you say in your mind, what's wrong with me? Now we can bring in uh, the different professionals and academics and they can study you biologically and psychologically and sociologically, and maybe there will be many insights, but you've got to go all the way down to the root to understand what's wrong with me. Here's what's wrong with you. You were born in sin. And you were born to die. Your life is only to be one series of miseries and sins. Psalm 51.5, David confesses, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Job, twice, puts forth uh, these, these sayings of wisdom. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. How then can a man be justified with God, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can a leopard change his spots or the Ethiopian his skin? It's a part of our nature. Why is it that we, we can go to every continent of the world, to every nation, and however different their language and their customs, we always seem to find sin? Has there ever been some tribe deep in the bowels of some jungle and some inaccessible place that has been discovered and their children never fight? They never speak disrespectfully to mom and dad. There's no adultery. There's no fornication. There's no uncleanness. Wouldn't that be all over the pages of our National Geographic magazine? But we never found that, have we? Why? Because we're all one family. We're all one broken, rebellious, desert of a family that desperately needs God to step in and to show us undeserved favor. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is a truth that our flesh, not our physical flesh, this is a a word that is used in this sense to refer to the perverse, rebellious nature of man. It is just impossible for us not to sin, not to rebel against God, not to, to hate God and our neighbor. We are all carriers, friends. And so the next time, mom and dad, you're tempted to get really, really bent out of shape with your son or daughter. Just remember who they got it from. Let that humble you. Maybe the reason he's so angry is because I get so angry. Maybe the reason... She's always shifting the blame and pointing at somebody else and manipulating is because I have had that sinful tendency myself. This is a humbling, indeed, and a basing reality. None of us likes it. My flesh recoils from it, but I have to preach it because it's God's word. And we're never going to have our problem solved if we don't have an accurate diagnosis. Charnock puts it this way. The unrighteousness introduced by Adam poured a poison into every faculty, that is, every power of the soul, and dispossessed it of its strength as well as of its beauty. What else could be expected from any deadly wound but weakness as well as defilement? Friends, this is what we call original sin. There have been those in the history of the church who have challenged it and denied it. The arch-heretic Pelagius 
who taught that every child is born innocent. And all sin in this world is learned. Now, we don't deny for a moment that we cannot learn sin. Jeroboam, the king of Israel, made all Israel to sin. But that's not the whole picture. A man, after all, can come to his senses, repent, and say, my dad was wrong, and I'm not walking in his footsteps anymore. By the grace of God, I'm turning over a new leaf. And I can, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That he that is begotten of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith that we weren't born with, but was planted in the hearts of his elect at the time that it pleased God. Don't let anyone tell you any different. Second, having considered the backstory of this opposition that regeneration overcomes. And next time we'll see how easy it is. It's infinitely hard. No, it's impossible for us to overcome this moral default against God. But with God, all things are possible. That's the wonderful thing about Christianity is that there is an answer from above. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully. Now let us move from the backstory of this opposition to the every soul story of this opposition. Young people, maybe you, you've heard the word microcosm. A microcosm, it's made of two words, small world. If you look under a microscope, you, you say, I'm just amazed. There's a whole universe on this little uh, piece of my dead skin. There's a whole ecosystem uh, living and, and thriving there. Well, what we have in each and every individual soul, elect and non elect, everyone who's come from Adam, is a personal, individual, prepackaged embodiment of rebellion. Now, we all look different. We talk different, we've got different tastes and preferences, different sizes, different shapes, you name it. But we're all sons and daughters of Father Adam and Mother Eve. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. 
every single individual is born into this world unable to do anything spiritually good that is pleasing to God. And that would include Caleb prior to his rebirth. And it doesn't matter that we don't have a detailed explanation in numbers along the the lines of all the details that were given in the New Testament. No, the Bible is a whole. It is a unity. And we interpret the less clear in the light of the more clear. And this explains everything that Paul and Peter are talking about in terms of the things we're, we're speaking of so that we interpret every individual who is reborn before or after Christ. This was Caleb's story. He was conceived and born in sin. He was not born with faith. Faith is not in the DNA chain. It's not there. Now, maybe you were born into a Christian home. And maybe you're among the few, or maybe not so few, the privileged ones, who actually never knew a day that you didn't personally trust Christ as your Savior. And that's a beautiful thing. And don't feel, if that's the case with you, don't feel as though that you're somehow not a real Christian because you didn't have this Damascus Road conversion. You weren't like the prodigal and you wasted your life. You know, the Anabaptists, they have a kind of theology along those lines. You you know, you have to, when you come of age, you need to leave the compound and sow your wild oats to make sure that it's your decision. Well, we don't believe that. But the fact of the matter is we are all conceived and born into sin and we must be born again if we are to enter the kingdom of God. If we are to enter into the promised land like Caleb, we have to have faith. But where does faith come from? It doesn't come from Father Adam and Mother Eve. What does come from them is sin and death. And corruption. Oh, pastor, I don't like this. Join the club. My flesh doesn't like it either, but i got to crucify my flesh, and I've got to listen to what God's Word is saying. And I've got to deny all those thoughts and feelings about myself that make me want to feel like that man who said in the temple, Father, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that scum behind me. Get off your high horse, my friend. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we have turned aside to his own way. And the only way for you to be redeemed is if the Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, we've got to open the wound, and we've got to probe it if we're going to understand the desperate need of the cure and what it is. There is a passive resistance 
in the unregenerate man. Sometimes our forebears would speak of the natural man. By that is meant the unconverted soul that comes into this world and has not been reborn. There is a passive resistance. Think of it like this. It's dead weight. A firefighter uh, gets into a, an inferno, a burning building, and finds somebody who has passed out because they've inhaled too much smoke, and, and he's got to throw her body over his shoulder, and he's got to carry her all the way down. There is no contribution that she can make. She is out. She is dead weight. And spiritually, that's the way we are until the Lord visits our hearts. The Bible tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sins. That's just so plain. It's painfully plain. We are not sick. Some people talk in those terms. Now, in a sense, we can talk about this. Jesus came to call uh, the right, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance, even as the doctor does not come uh, for one who is healthy, but for one who is sick. But we need to round out the complete picture with the language of Scripture that the Bible also says. There's another way of looking at this, and that is, we're not just sick. By nature, we are dead. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Dead, how? Not biologically. Biologically, we may be fit as a fiddle. And yet, dead to everything that counts. Does that make sense to you? I pray God that it does. Young people, do you understand? It is possible to be dead while you are alive. If you don't get that, I pray that you don't die before the day that you do get it. The Bible speaks of the unregenerate man or woman or child as having a heart of stone. Now, right now, if you put your, your fingers to your wrist, you can feel, you can feel the, the movement of the blood circulating, can't you? And you know that even though you can't actually see your heart unless you go and have an ultrasound, your heart's alive. But your heart in the spiritual sense, unless the Lord has given you a new nature, you are dead in trespasses and in sins, unable to will, to feel, or to do anything that is well-pleasing to God. That's what regeneration must overcome, and that's what regeneration does in each and every case when the Holy Spirit brings it to bear upon the heart of a stubborn sinner. This passive resistance in the unregenerate man involves the soul 
being blinded. Every soul, every descendant of Adam and Eve is spiritually blinded. Again, they see physically, but to everything that counts, they're blind. His understanding is darkened. He is ignorant. Romans chapter 3, there is none that understands There is none that seeks after God. Jeremiah says the heart is not pure and honest. No, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The natural man, says Paul, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness. You might as well be speaking Mandarin to him. He's not going to understand these things. They don't fit. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because these things are spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. You have to be a spiritual man to understand spiritual things. But if you're in the flesh, you're never going to savingly understand. Our minds, according to Ephesians 4, they are darkened. Darkened. The light has shone into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light. It's like the very opposite of of the moths. Instead of being drawn to the light, we're drawn to the darkness. The soul is enslaved to lusts, to all manner of sins, to the dominion of Satan. We were helpless, Romans 5, 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He that sins, says Jesus, is the slave of sin. Sin is a tyrant. And not only is it a tyrant, it can be sophisticated so that you don't even realize that you're being drugged into a stupor of rebellion. Don't we see that everywhere around us? But there is not only a passive resistance that must be overcome by the rebirth, by the Holy Spirit breaking down all the barriers to create another spirit like the spirit of Caleb. There is also active resistance in each and every unregenerate man, woman, and child. It's not just dead weight. It's positive, active force of resistance. The soul by nature that is descended from Adam and Eve is radically hostile to God in all the powers of the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
the unregenerate soul is positively in league with the world and in lockstep with Satan. What is this, Pastor? You're you're likening me by nature to, to the thugs in the Third Reich. Well, that's exactly how the Bible describes us. By nature, until we are made new. Ephesians 2, 2 and 3. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And Paul is putting himself in that we. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law blameless. And yet I was doing goose step to Satan. That's how blind I was. And when the day comes, the scales fall from his eyes. What are the words that come out of his mouth? Who are you, Lord? I thought I knew you all along. among whom we all had our conversation or conduct in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath even as others. Now, if that's not your self-diagnosis prior to your conversion, you're not a Christian. You're not. You're not saved. And you are under the wrath and curse of God, and you don't even know it. The soul that is not reborn, that is yet in in its sins, is not just passive in its resistance, like dead weight. It is positively antagonistic to God, to his law. Listen to Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal, that is the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Oh, I've I've kept the commandments. Have you really? And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You know, Paul, Paul's like Rembrandt. You have the light jumping out, but only because there is the dark on the canvas. Friends, that's what makes amazing grace amazing grace. Not only are we antagonistic to the law, we are even when it comes to us, unless the Holy Spirit takes out the heart of stone and gives the heart of flesh, we are antagonistic to the gospel. We are allergic to our own cure. Friends, the uptake of all of this is that sinners who are born in sin, 
unless they are reborn, and that includes the elect. There's no difference. Just Caleb. Caleb needed washing, even as we need washing. The washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. In fact, the very, the very ordinance of circumcision to each and every male child was a statement of the natural uncleanness and the defilement and the impurity and the helplessness to produce that which is good. It's a confession of faith and it is a veto. In fact, that's what our baptisms are as well. Whether we receive it from our earliest days or embrace it later on or as adults, it is a veto of the flesh. I have no confidence whatsoever in myself, in my parents, in, in the law, in anything else but in the free grace of God. In fact, I can't even exercise faith in the free offer of the gospel until that heavenly seed is planted in my soul by the Spirit of God. Without faith it is impossible to please God, but all men, says Paul, have not faith. Now briefly as we close, a few objections. What about the virtuous heathen? What about my good non-Christian neighbor? Well, Durham answers it like this. It is as spoiled wine. The wine, when it is wholesome, it serves to cheer and refresh, but when it is spoiled, it is quite another thing. It doesn't cease being wine, but it's soured. And there may be many good words and good things that are done that are beneficial to one's fellow man, but it's soured because it doesn't have faith. And it's soured because oftentimes it is for the applause of others. I want to feel good. I want to be seen. Or I'm only doing this because it makes me feel good. It has nothing to do with love to God and His glory. That's why even the elder brothers need grace. Well, then why there is such a difference, such a variance among men? Only by the grace of God. There but for the grace of God go I. Caleb is different because God made him different. And when it comes to others who are not saved and do not have the rebirth, it is not because they are somehow better than others, but it is because God in his kindness is restraining the natural tendencies of man so that life can continue and the gospel can go forth. But left to himself, it spins out of control. Witness the USA in 2023. 
Well, but pastor, why are some Christians worse than non-Christians? That's a good question. At least two answers. Some of them may temporarily not be themselves. Even Christians can get sick. Sometimes they can get really sick, as David and Peter. But because they have the seed of God, they always rebound. But perhaps an even more ready answer is that perhaps they're not even true Christians. They have a name, that they are alive, but they are dead. But, uh, Pastor, this teaching is just so harsh. It's just so grim. I remember once I had somebody come to me afterwards as I, as I was preaching on similar themes, and he said, Pastor, it makes me want to take a shower. Well, friend, I didn't say this, but friend, you need more than a shower. So do I. You need the rebirth. Some may say it just flies in the face of common experience and common sense. Well, friends, common sense isn't always so sensible. There is such a thing as herd mentality that drives people down the broad way that leads to destruction. God judges men by giving them over to a reprobate mind so that they lose common sense. Further, sinners have a vested interest in justifying themselves and making themselves feel good. No wonder they, they recoil at this. Who wants to think in such terms about himself? But perhaps it also may well be said that we so readily underestimate our nature, human nature, because we so quickly forget The 20th century, as advanced as it was, two world wars, 40 million dead in horrific ways in World War I, World War II slightly more. Under Hitler, 6 million Jews, 11 to 12 million noncombatants dead through the concentration camps. And yet he was hardly as bad as Stalin who extinguished the lives of 20 million of his people and Stalin was hardly as bad as Mao Zedong. 40 to 80 million of his own people in China through starvation, persecution, prison labor, mass executions. And we think we're so developed and civilized. This is the potential of man, left to himself. But here's the good news. God has not left all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery. We are helpless to save himself, but God is infinitely able. May God give us the new birth and you You, dear friends, you must be born again. And if you are awake, if you are alive and you have another spirit, bless God. 
and speak up. Do not declare your own righteousness. You know you have none. But say, come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what ye have done for my soul. And that's all that a profession of faith is. It's not, oh, I am such a good person. No, it's the opposite. He is a great, I am a great sinner. He is a great Savior. But my servant Caleb Because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Amen. Please rise. Our Lord God, create in us a clean heart and renew in us a right spirit. Pour out thy seed upon us and upon our seed and upon our seed's seed. And Lord, we pray that thou would make us like Caleb to follow thee fully. Have mercy on us, O God, and receive all glory and praise through Christ Jesus. Amen.